So if you'd like to turn to the first epistle of John, we're going to be in chapter 5. It's the first epistle of John, chapter 5, we'll be reading from verses 6 to 13. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Amen. So this this evening our um, attention is going to be focused on verse 13. Um, And in this verse we'll be seeing the power of God's word, both in salvation and perseverance. We will see that we have joy and comfort in understanding what eternal life is for the believer. We'll see how believers persevere in the faith. And that faith is trusting in the Son of God. So we'll just recap again with verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So John here starts verse 13 with a statement that he has written to the believers that they may know that they may know that they have eternal life. So what part of uh, this letter, one of the aims is that he will bring to memory of the faithful that they have eternal life. And we've seen this briefly mentioned in the letter already. Because John has shown them that eternal life cannot be achieved by their own works. He's shown that it is only in Jesus Christ that salvation and eternal life is found. John reminded the Christians that it is the outworking of the Gospels in their lives that enables them to love the commandments of God and also to seek to keep those commandments. Thus, it reveals that they have inherited eternal life because they love The things of the Lord. The evidence is there that the Lord has had his work in them. Now John not only clarified that salvation is found in Jesus. But he identified and and revealed to the church here who Jesus is. Again I want to remind us that part of the reason for writing this letter. Is that false teachers had come into the church. They'd, They'd sought to pervert the gospel to preach a different Jesus. So all of, all of this, what John was writing, was to build up the believers and to reassure them of their salvation. And John did this 
through his writing. Now, what we must understand is the power that is found in this letter. We know that in some ways, our words do have power. Our words can build people up. But our words can also hurt and crush people. Our words can warn and guide. But they can also lead people astray. Our words can bring wonderful truths when we speak of scripture. But when we twist it and bring a different gospel, we bring deceitful lies. There is power, power in our words. So we know that regardless of of whether it was just merely John writing this letter, there would be power in this to some degree. But what John has written here is more powerful than just the words of a mere man. John here seeks to persuade and to build up the believers. However, the power behind this letter is far greater than any other authors outside of scripture. Because the words that John has written were done so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we mentioned this um, previously as we were going through um, verses um, a few weeks ago. When we look at 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when John says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, there are power in these words. Because these words are not merely of John. They're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, this will build up the the believers rightly in a correct way under the power of, of God. And And to understand the power of God in his word... And how great that is. We're just going to briefly have a look at a few verses, both the power in God's spoken word and his written word. Firstly, we know that God's power, God's word has the power to create. We go back to Genesis, don't we? We look at creation. All that we see in the natural word, world has been spoken into existence. God merely spoke and things were created. That is power. It was done in an instant. It wasn't done over millions of years. It wasn't um, an accident. Everything that we see was spoken to by just the power of God's word. We also know that God's word is everlasting. When we look to Isaiah, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So Isaiah here is speaking of the judgments and blessings that God was going to bestow. Well, the the judgments on Judah and the blessings on the Babylonians. God's, he was speaking of that, but it also applies to God's word standing forever. God's word will always stand forever because it is true and good and from our eternal God. God's word will never change. He will never say one thing one day and then the opposite, the next. It is true and right forever. We turn to Psalm 119, verse 30. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So God's word has power to create. It is everlasting. 
and it also brings to light and uh, to light it helps us to understand even as simple as we are even as as um, fallen as we are god's word can bring to us understanding the revelation of god's word brings light so as we study god's word as we grow in the knowledge of god's word it will bring to us understanding which helps us apply all that he he asks of us to our lives. This is the power of God's word. Now, I I would argue that the the greatest example of the power of God's word is what we read in Romans, in verse uh, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's word is so powerful that it can bring spiritual life to the spiritually dead. The power of God's word brings life. Now we do see lives changed in many ways. I'm not going to argue against that. There are various methods that can help people to quit drink, quit drugs, help people to control their anger, help people to turn from a life of crime, help change bad behaviours to good behaviours. Now, I'm not knocking these. All these things that that bring change uh, obviously clearly have a benefit. And it does make for a better world to live in. But that's superficial. But what all methods of behaviour and and seeking to change behaviour, what they lack is that they only deal with the physical. They only deal with the temporary things. They do not deal with eternal, the spiritual things. So... An ex-drinker, an ex-drug user, an ex-thief, an ex-murderer, a lovely, kind person, an honest person, a generous person, all have the same problem. There is not one that is good amongst them. They are all dead in trespasses and sin. They are spiritually dead. There is the power of the gospel of God's word which brings them life. So this is what is in the power of God's word. So when John writes that he's written to those who believe, those that believe on the name of the Son of God, there is power to these words. Now on this occasion, the power of his words are there to reassure believers that they have eternal life in Christ. So this is, this is the joy that we have when we read this, that for those who believe and trust in the Son of God, they have eternal life now eternal life seems like a simple thing seems like a simple context eternal uh, concept eternal life is life that never ends that is correct however what john is speaking of is way more is way more than just living forever because we are going to live forever at death one way or another what john is speaking of here is something else. You see, as soon as we are conceived in the womb, we are separated from God. And the evidence of this is seen in our lives. We just have to examine ourselves. If you are a believer, just look to your motives, your desires before you were saved. You may have lived a morally good life, so to speak, but it wasn't for the glory of God. It wasn't out of love for God. We may think, oh, we'll be right with God because we've done A, B, C and D. But we have fallen in one way 
or another? Have we ever walked rightly, perfectly, without spot or blemish? Can anyone accuse us of breaking God's commandments? Now, by breaking, I don't mean just in action, but also in thought. Have we all loved our neighbour as ourselves? And have we always loved the Lord our God, always and perfectly, keeping every command? Not one of us here has. But this God, who has power in his words, now out of his perfect nature and his perfect justice, must judge us. Now outside of Christ, he will judge and will find us guilty. For we have broken his commandments. Now the punishment, what is the punishment of a just and good God? Well, it's not a cushy two weeks in Hotel Jerby. It's eternal. It's hell. And there, the sinner will be under the fullness of the divine wrath of God. People believe that hell is just a separation from God. That wouldn't be hell to, to people because we know from, our, from ourselves before we were saved, we didn't desire God. <coughs> if we could be separated from God, that would have been a joyful, a wonderful thing for us. Hell is being under the wrath of God. Glenn mentioned it earlier about the lake of fire. It would be a much more pleasant thing to be literally dipped in a lake of fire right now than it would to be to suffer the wrath of God. But in Christ, believing in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, a person will have eternal life. And this eternal life, we will have a resurrected body. A body that is able to commune with God for eternity. A body that will not fade, that will not grow weary, but one that will enable us to fellowship with God in a wonderful and perfect way. It will be a body that does not desire the things of this world, that will not drag us down into sin. It will be one that takes joy continuously in the Lord. Now, Paul states in Philippians that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So right now, how wonderful is it now for us believers to have fellowship with Christ? How special and how much of a joy is it to wake each day knowing that we have Jesus? How blessed are we to know and love Christ at this very moment? Paul says it's far better to be with him the other side of eternity. It's unimaginable for us because we have joy, we have comfort right now in knowing Jesus. Yet at death, it will be far better. So as soon as we trust in Christ, our eternal life with him, imperfect in in communion, starts now. But we have so much to look forward to in the future. We love and enjoy Christ now. We love his word and knowing him through his word. But how precious will it be when we come face to face with Jesus and have eternity with him? Without this body that desires him, without this continuous battle against our wretched sinful nature. We will be perfect in Christ. And we know that the Christians that John writes to have been through a terrible time. 
false teachers have come in and caused a division. Um, it, it can be seen as good because the, the false the false believers were separated from the true believers. The sheep and the goat were separated. But it will have been a difficult time. So they, they'll have looked at their book, well, uh, they'd have looked and thought they had brothers and sisters in Christ, but they will have gone. They'll have left the church following after a false gospel. And that would have caused pain and suffering. It would have been an awful thing. So now John reminds them of the truth of eternal life. And that is a very appropriate for us today. Because we know life is hard and difficult. It can be from a health point of view. It can be from a situational point of view. And probably the vast majority of the time it's from a personal point of view because we have not done and lived as we should. Life is difficult and hard. And this life, especially for the believer, is not about fun and games. We're not here to to um, live and adhere to the desires of the, the flesh. We are here to joyfully, joyfully to serve the Lord. And when we do, it's a wonderful thing. But by joyfully serving the Lord, we will still suffer. Again, this is a, a, a false gospel that is preached so many times when... Um, as I mentioned earlier, those young people who had heard a false gospel, they were told immediately that their life would be wonderful, full of blessings, and Jesus is with you and everything will be perfect. And these were, was, this was said to, to young people from very, very difficult backgrounds who would then go back to their homes where they would be suffering. And what would the things that they thought be? Clearly, they've not got Christ because they are suffering. They would have, have gone from this euphoric feeling of, of a false gospel to the depths of reality, to a horrible home life, to a horrible situation. And there would have been no foundation, there would have been no Christ because he wasn't preached to them. But we know as believers that life will be difficult. We will suffer for the name of Jesus. Jesus promised this to us. But with the assurance of eternal life with Christ... We are strengthened, we are encouraged to persevere in the face of difficulties and even when we are faced with death. Now in the light of the power of God's word and the joy of knowing we have eternal life as shown to us in this letter by John, we can know and trust that every believer will persevere to the end. And that is what John comes to now in the last section of verse 13, when he says that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. See, John has, has repeated that phrase twice, that you believe on the name of the Son of God, may believe on the name of the Son of God. The second time he states it here is reassuring them that they will be continuing in in the faith. He said he's written these things so that you will continue, that you will always be with the Lord. It's, it's affirming that once they have salvation, that will never be taken from them. So John writes that, that the believers, that they know they have eternal life. And that once they believe on the name of the Son of God, that will always be the case. 
people may argue, well, actually, somebody confessed to be a Christian, but now they, they've renounced it and have gone against it. Well, those that part from the faith were never in the faith to begin with. See, in the power of God's word, a believer will receive the gospel, believe the gospel, and be eternally safe in the gospel. I'm not saying that we won't ever struggle. There won't ever be moments where we where we wrestle with the word of God, where there may be, in our moments of weakness, a doubt, but we will always be kept by the Lord. John writes in his gospel in chapter 10, he says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. This eternal life for every believer will never be lost because it is safe in the Father's hand. There is nothing of this world or by the work of Satan that can remove us from the love and the security of the gospel. Once Once we are the fathers, we are always the fathers. When you think as a child, when uh, you're embraced by your father and you are safe and secure in his heart, in his arms, how much more so are we secure in the arms of our heavenly father? You see, we didn't earn our salvation. That was a gift from the Lord. And we certainly do not maintain our salvation. If we could lose our salvation, we would and very very quickly too. I want us now to look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 to 14. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The believer, the true believer, has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. His work in us shows that we belong to the Lord. He is the inward mark of God's ownership of his, of his children. This seal cannot be broken. It is eternally secure. See, it is a tormented soul that believes that they must earn salvation and keep it. A soul will be in constant fear and dread that at some point they may do something to lose their salvation if they believe it is based on them. They will either be built up in pride and boast and therefore lead to destruction or they will be continuously in despair trying to maintain their salvation. If we were to lose our salvation, this would be breaking, this would be the Lord breaking his promise. Philippians 1 verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 6 being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We know the Lord is unable to lie. And therefore, the truth here that we have just read is that we will persevere to the end. Not because of our own works, but because of the Lord's. He will preserve us. So all those who call on the name of the Lord and are saved through the cleansing of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, will be saved forever and we will enjoy that eternal life that John speaks of and it is a very peaceful soul that rests in the knowledge that they are saved and are kept by the gracious work of God 
It's a joyful soul that understands that in Christ they have all they need and that they are eternally his. And it is a soul that loves Christ in the truth and knowledge that their sins are forgiven and that they are no longer a slave to sin, but are a slave to a loving, sacrificial master. And now, um, as we, we come to finish and, and look at the last section here, John has stated twice in this verse that belief, that faith is in who? The Son of God. Now, to bring the truth uh, and the power uh, in God's word and, and to understand the perseverance of believers, we must know who the Son of God is and what this term means. See, Jesus often speaks of God as as his father. He will say, my father. And a lot of, lot of the time, this is translated from the Greek word Abba, which is terminology, terminology used by Jewish children when they speak of their father. It's relational. So when Jesus taught his disciples to call God their father, Jesus always gave the idea that there is a difference between the relationship. Yes, they could call the Heavenly Father Abba, their father. But there was a difference between the disciples' relationship, the believers' relationship with the Father and Christ. He always made that clear. And we see this more um, kind of played out when the Jewish leaders understood what Christ was meaning. When Christ spoke of his Father... Jesus was implying equality with the Father. And when he's referred to himself as the Son, he was relate, he's referring to equality with the Father. And this is the same that John speaks of here when he says the Son of God. Jesus is equal with the Father. He is God himself. We're not speaking of just a mere man who who happened to maybe be a good teacher or a nice bloke, we are speaking of God himself, who on this occasion did not come to judge, but to to give his life for sinners. When Christ returns, he will come in judgment. But when he came, when he came to earth, when he took on human nature, he came to to save sinners, to save those who were lost. So when John states that a believer is someone who has trusted on the name of the Son of God, he's speaking of Christ. And to trust on the name of Jesus is to trust in God himself. To trust in Jesus Christ, we must firstly realise that we are under the wrath of God. We have sinned against God. We have broken his laws, as we saw earlier. And from that position of, of despair and worry, knowing that, our eternal life will not be in the love of God, but will be under his wrath. We see the need of a saviour. And that only saviour is God himself, the son of God, Jesus Christ. And in light of what we have just read, that God's word has power. Let me read from God's word now, the proclamation of the gospel, and we will end with there. So if we need salvation, if we are under the law, then this is the gospel. This is the true gospel. And we find this in 1 Peter chapter 2. For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example 
that you should follow his steps. This is about Christ. He who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep gone astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Right there, Peter has shown us that the only way we can be right with God is through the blood of Christ. By Christ's death, by Christ receiving the punishment for our sins, only in Christ and the cleansing of his blood are we cleansed, are we right with the Lord. So this is what John uh, was coming to. He was reminding them that they have eternal life. That eternal life is in the Son of God. And that they will never, ever be plucked from the Father's hand. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen.